Well, good morning, church. If you're still grabbing your coffee from the lobby, come on in. We welcome you on the live stream too. Hey, if you'll stand this morning as we worship and sing about a holy God. Did you have a seat this morning? Well, good morning, fellowship family. My name's Jimmy, and I'm one of the community pastors here in Rogers, and I want to welcome everyone, especially if you're new. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Hey, please stop by the community booth if you're new. Uh, we want to meet you, or you can scan the QR code on the screen. Fill that out for next steps. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Hey, our fall series in 1 Timothy is right around the corner, and there's a companion inductive study book that we're gonna have available for you to purchase in the middle of the foyer next week, Sunday, August 22nd. I wanna strongly encourage you to pick up one of those before our fall series starts on September the 12th. Hey, if you've ever thought about joining our church uh, or you simply wanna learn more about Fellowship Bible Church, Discover Fellowship is set to begin Sunday, September 12th at 9.30 in the Training Center Chapel. Now, Discover is a nine-week experience. It was created to help you learn more about fellowship, and it's one of the primary ways in which we connect you to the body here at Fellowship so that you can begin to belong and grow and serve alongside us. You can sign up at the community booth in the foyer or online. Hey, last week, Sam talked about how, as a church, we learn together, and one of those ways we can do that together is through the classes offered from the training center. There's a list of those classes on the screen here. You can sign up for those online. Hey, one of the coolest things that I get to do as a community pastor in Rogers is be a part of encouraging couples in their journey towards oneness through a ministry called Reengage. Reengage is a marriage enrichment experience, and it's it's designed to help couples in whatever season you may find yourself in. So. That means if, if you're strong and you're healthy and you just want to get stronger and more focused on Christ in your marriage, re-engage is for you. You know, if you've drifted into roommate status with your spouse and you've lost connection or passion or purpose within your marriage, re-engage is also for you. And if your marriage is struggling and you're hurting and you need some restoration, re-engage is also for you. Our large groups are going to start back up on September 12th right across the hall in the Family Center. We're gonna meet on 4.30 at 4.30 p.m. on Sundays. And our new format actually allows you to just show up. You don't have to commit to the experience ahead of time. Just show up and check it out. And you can do that at any time this fall. And you'll simply begin your journey through Reengage on whatever Sunday that you show up. We'd love to have you. Hey, God's word says that marriage 
is good and that it's holy, but we also know that marriage can be hard, right? And so we're here to help you and encourage you in that journey. Hey, Fellowship family, we've lost a dear friend this past Thursday. Our friend Greg Stevenson passed away. Greg is a longtime servant here at Fellowship. He was on our security team and a member of the Benton County Sheriff Department. He'd always post up right here at this center entrance. And uh, for years when I was worship pastor here, my wife would bring in food to the team and visit with him with my son, and, and so there's a big loss, and we just want to uh, take a moment to pray for his family, his wife, Maria. Would you bow with me, and we pray for them? Well, Father, we just want to pause, and one, thank you for the friend uh, that we had in Greg. And we want to lift up his wife, Maria, to you, and his family, and all the friends who knew him and loved him, many of those here in this room. Um, Lord, just be with them, we ask. Comfort them in this time and in this loss. We also want to lift up the country of Haiti to you as they've been battered by another earthquake and as they emerge from the rubble and, um, and try to heal, I pray that you'd be with them and protect them from this hurricane that is impending as well. We know that you're Lord of all creation. We know that you're the creator and sustainer of life, Lord, but you're also good, and we want to acknowledge your goodness this morning, that we can trust you. Lord, you've not treated us as our sins deserve, Lord. But instead, through the cross, through your sacrifice, Jesus' blood, you've forgiven us, and we receive your mercy this morning. And I pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, hello, church. My name's Kyle Jackson, and I get the privilege to be one of the worship leaders here at Fellowship Rogers. And this morning, we get to talk about my favorite subject, worship. It's what I get paid to do. It's awesome. Um, and this morning, we, we're going to talk about how God is forming us and shaping us to be living our lives in response to him. And when we were dreaming about this service as a team, we had the idea what if instead of just blowing it out and having an awesome band up here like we normally get to have, what if we invited our congregation to be the worship team that, this morning? So here you are, you are invited and you are officially a member of the Fellowship Rogers worship team. You've made it, congratulations. Uh, just, just kidding. Um, no, seriously though, this morning we, we get the privilege to sing and worship together and with this, you might be walking in and you might, might be saying, Kyle, I do not feel like worshiping this morning. And you might also say, I am so excited to worship this morning and let's lift our voice together and we're excited. Let me point you to the two different Psalms that we see in scripture. First is Psalm 89 and this is what it says. It says, how long, Lord, will you hide yourself for forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created in all humanity. Who can live and not see death or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love? Which in your faithfulness you swore to David. Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts which your enemies, Lord, have mocked with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. But here's the turn. This is my encouragement to you this morning if you walk in feeling like this. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And here's the other ditch. If you find yourself here, we shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Do you believe that this morning? His faithfulness continues through all the generations. Would you say this with me? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. 
Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Say this with me. Praise the Lord. Church, would you stand this morning as we prepare our hearts to worship and seeing about the breath that God has given us is his. You give life, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that Pour 
your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise Lord we pour out our praise to you this morning just give us an image of what that is what that feels like what it looks like the effect that it has on our lives and remind us again Lord of how precious it is to worship you it's in Christ's name that we gather in this room Amen. You may be seated. That song was written by a young man named David Leonard. I knew his dad in college. He was a good singer. And David, I taught David at John Brown when we were developing and helping them develop a worship ministries program over there. And David was in my class. And um, once in a while, whenever we're singing that song, I'll just take a picture of the screen of the refrain, and I'll send it to David and say, you're blessing us again, buddy. Blessing us again. He's a fine young man. Uh, Well, I had a dream last night, and it was of this service. And I was, uh, Kyle was leading, and before the service began, somebody said, hey, could we go up to Fellowship Bentonville? Look, and I looked at my watch, and I said, sure, we can do that. So I went up there, and this person just kept dawdling around, and, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get them away. I said, i got to get back and teach, you know. And it was one of those dreams where you're just hung. You know, you've ever been there, and you just can't get out of it. And, you know, and then I got back here, and Kyle was just making up songs here on the stage and <laughs> looking for me, where is he? And, I mean, literally, at 4.30, I woke up. I said, I can't go back to sleep and get back in that dream. I can't do that. And so I'm ready for lunch right now. I, uh, but it was a special time to plan this service together. And Kyle, I, I want to encourage all you this morning, this, uh, when the teaching is finished, don't get up and leave, which some, I mean, for amen means get, grab my purse, grab my stuff, get, here we go, out the back door. Because we're going to have a time for you to express yourself in worship because that's what we're talking about today in the context of our series is we come together and we come together to do what? Worship. So what is that? What is that? What does it mean? And what does God intend for us to gather into our hearts and minds from this thing called worship? And so that's what we're going to explore this morning. Uh, It was about 25 years ago when there was a new book that came out. It was a paraphrase of the Bible called a message. And Robert Cup had just gotten his copy of it, and he was walking by my office, and Robert said, man, you got to hear this. Listen to this. And he opened the message up to Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30, coming to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he said, listen to this paraphrase that, Peter, uh, that Peterson wrote of this. Are you tired? Worn out? Anybody? Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Look at this. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Doesn't that feel good? I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. There's a phrase right there. Keep company with me. I want you to associate that with worship, what we're talking about today. Because when we truly come to God, when we get away with God, when we walk with God, when we keep company with God, then we begin to understand what worship is all about. 
It's not just gathering once a week in this room. Is that worship? Yes. But that's not just the only time it happens. There's so many people who think, okay, I'm not a singer, so I'm not really into the worship thing. No, it's not about that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. When you think about worship, I want you to remember these two words, recognition and response. Recognition and response. Recognizing who God is and all of his greatness and then There's a recognition of myself because you see, when we truly see God in all of his greatness and all of his glory and all that he's done for us, then immediately we're going to see ourselves and we're going to see that in the scriptures that I want to illustrate for you this morning. But when we truly see God and we see ourselves, then therein is the recipe for transformation. Transformation. To change our lives. Let me give you a few examples. First example that I think really captures the essence of corporate worship. Where we gather together. Uh, in Second Chronicles 5.2. And I hope sometime you'll take some time and just read Second Chronicles 5 and, and this whole story. But uh, Solomon summoned all of Jerusalem to come. Uh, all of Israel to come to Jerusalem because it was time to dedicate the temple. Up until this point, they had uh, had the tabernacle, and they would they would raise it, build it, tear it down, raise it, build it, tear it down every time they journeyed to another place. But it was time for a tabernacle to be established on Mount Moriah, the same place where Abraham had gone to sacrifice Isaac, the same place today where the Dome of the Rock sits on the Temple Mount. That's where the temple was. And it came the time to establish that temple and to dedicate it. And the priests in 2 Chronicles 5-7 brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, that which represented the presence of God, to its place in the Holy of Holies and placed it beneath the wings of the cherubim. Man, this was a special time. In 2 Chronicles 5.11, the priests then withdrew from the holy place, the Holy of Holies there in the inner sanctum. They withdrew from the holy place and all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves regardless of their divisions. All the Levites Uh, who were musicians, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. 120 trumpets with cymbals. Can you imagine how loud that was? Some of you are old enough to remember a guy named Phil Driscoll. He played trumpet. He was a Christian. He had been a hippie. And then he became a Christian. And he, was, he, had, he was bald on top and had curls that ran down on his shoulders. And man, he could play the trumpet. I was at a concert one time, and, and I was sitting about this far from Phil. And he played the thing so loud. I mean, people were just like holding their ears. It, it was so loud. And uh, he stopped in the middle of his concert. He said, my horn's pretty loud, isn't it, bro? Everybody went, yeah, your horn's loud. He said, well, when the Lord comes back, his angels are going to blow the horn and they'll hear it all over the world. The Lord blows the loud horn, bro. <laughs> and he went back to play it and we went back to holding our ears, but it was, it was unbelievable. It was so beautiful what he did. The Lord blows, Lord blows a loud horn and they were blowing loud horns and a lot of noise heard all over Jerusalem. The trumpeteers And musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by the trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. And then the temple of the Lord, look at this, the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple. What a scene. What a scene that must have been as the cloud just came in. We worship together. Did you know our worship leaders love to hear your voices? Uh, Today, Kyle, he, he wants to hear your voices. And so he's got a monitor up here. Normally, he wears monitors in his ears. 
so that we have a, a quiet stage. Because when you have all these musicians up here and you've got a noisy stage, these speakers will feed back through the mics and you get a loop. And when you get that loop going, then you get feedback. I mean, when's the last time you heard feedback here? You don't hear it because they've got those monitors in their ears. They won't be able to hear by the time they're 55. But they're doing it for you, okay? They wear those monitors. And, but they want to hear you. And so they see these mics right here on either side? That feeds into their ears so they can hear you sing. But even then, sometimes they'll flip those monitors out of their ears because there's nothing like standing up here and hearing a thousand voices lift their praise to God. There's nothing like it, Ezekiel. I had the privilege for a great part of my life in doing that. I think it's one of the highest callings that, that any of our staff can have is to be able to stand on this platform and usher people into the presence of God. It's a beautiful thing when we worship together. So whenever you have the opportunity, it doesn't matter how it sounds. You think you don't have a good voice, lift it up. Lift it up because he is worthy. He's worthy of it. In Isaiah chapter 6, we discover the process of worship. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted and seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Imagine this. This is around the throne of God. Hey, just imagine it. Picture it in your mind. Above him were seraphim. Those were angels. Each had six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. Humility. With two, they covered their feet. Service. And with two, they were flying, ongoing praise. They were flying and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the sound of their voices, listen to this, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. There the cloud is again. The presence of the Lord comes in a cloud. And Isaiah said, Woe to me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In other words, we have recognition and response here. He sees God in all of his glory, and immediately he sees himself. In other words, I'm dirty, and everybody I know is dirty. I don't belong in this beautiful place. This throne room of God. And look what he says, for my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh, the almighty recognition. And then look what happens. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. And your sin atoned for. Now you tell me, what did Isaiah do at that point to deserve his sin being taken away? Not a thing. It was a gift. It's still a gift. It's not what you can do. It's not what you have done. It's God's gift to you. And that's what happened to Isaiah. All Isaiah did was he was brought into the throne room. He saw God and he recognized that he was a sinner. And God said, here, I got something for you. Your sin's taken away. Your guilt is atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, say it with me. Here am I. Send me. That's response. He saw God. He saw himself. And God gave him the opportunity to say, here am I. Send me. You see, that's what worship does for us. Whenever we come together and we worship God in all of his glory, we're going to mess up all week, every week. We're going to find new ways to mess up every week. But we come in here and it's a course correction for us. Because we see God. You see, don't we, we don't have to run and hide like Adam and Eve. We don't have to run and hide because God walks in with his arms open. His arms are always open. 
Beautiful illustration of recognition and response. Let's go to the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. This was John the Baptist's cousin. Remember, Mary went to Elizabeth, and and when she announced that, that she was pregnant, John the Baptist leaped in her womb. This was his cousin, and he said, look, the Lamb of God. Andrew was there. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, the Mashiach. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Capra. Which when, which when is translated means Peter. Now, when we read things in the scripture, we think, okay, this happened and then this happened. Peter uh, was called by Jesus and he responded immediately. And, but I don't think so. I want you to be able to see that Peter's a lot like us. He was a little bit reluctant. Took him some time to get there. And watch, watch this period of time because I've tracked it for you in the scriptures. Jesus traveled from there. After he said that to Peter, he traveled up to Galilee, which is about 80 miles. When's the last time any of you walked 80 miles? Okay. He walked about 80 miles up to Galilee. He performed his first miracle there in Canaan, visited with his family. And then what did he do? He travels back down to Jerusalem, which was another 80 to 90 miles depending on the route. He traveled back down to Jerusalem. He celebrated the Passover, and there's where, in John chapter 3, he encountered Nicodemus. And then he travels over to the Jordan, which was about 30 miles away there at Beth Barah. If you go to Israel with us next year, we'll take you to Beth Barah. Uh, They baptized there at the Jordan River. And then, what we read in John chapter 4, he travels back up to Galilee, except he takes a different route this time. He will go through Samaria, and there he encounters encounters the Samaritan woman, a divine appointment. Because they normally didn't go through Samaria. And you can see it's not, not the best route. You would travel up the Jordan River where there was water. But he goes through Samaria. Then he goes up to Capernaum. And he healed a high official son. Then he went over to Nazareth, which was about 20 miles away. And uh, uh, that's where they tried to kill him and throw him over the, the cliff there in Nazareth. And then he goes back to Capernaum. And he would set up his home base. Capernaum was right there. It was, it was on the Via Maris, the way of the sea. So if you were traveling from, uh, from Africa up to Europe, you had to travel the Via Maris. And that's where Jesus set up his home base, right there at Capernaum. It was also the best place for fishermen because there at Capernaum, the water is warm. And that's where all the fish gathered. He traveled over 300 miles in the space of time that we're talking about. And that would have taken quite a while. So, Peter hasn't responded to Jesus yet, but in Luke chapter 5, we read this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, there at Capernaum, somewhere nearby, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He sat at the water's edge, uh, or he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, what a surprise, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I think Simon was just a little bit condescending in his answer. You're the carpenter. I'm the fisherman. And you're telling me to put out my nets again after we have fished all night and caught no fishes. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Where have you heard that before? It's Isaiah. He says, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man, because we have recognition here. He sees that this is Jesus. This really is the Messiah, the one sent from God. This is the Christ. And he falls on his knees and says, go away from me. I don't belong in your presence. And what does Jesus do? For all, he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And this is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Here am I, send me. It's recognition and response. It's what happens to us when we truly worship God. When we walk with him, when we work with him, when we keep company with him, we understand what our calling is and where we're to go. It's when we're outside the presence of God that we misbehave, yes? It's when we put Him on the shelf. It's when we misbehave. It's been said that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at our worship. Is that true, you think? Yeah, we're pretty human, aren't we? Yeah, we get distracted by a lot of things. We get caught up in a lot of stuff, and we're distracted. We worship our work. We work at our play, and we play at our worship. Sometimes we come here. We're, we're distracted. You probably were this morning. You were looking around, seeing what other people were wearing. Who's got a mask? Who doesn't? First world problems. You notice this. What's that person doing here? Well, you know, you look up on the stage. Well, you know, where's the rest of the band? Why don't we just got a guitar up there? You're everything. You're distracted by everything just like I am. And we've got to work at it. We've got to be intentional to come into the presence of God. Ann Ortland wrote this. She said, when I was little, we used to play church. Did you ever do that? We'd get the chairs into rows and fight over who would be the preacher vigorously lead the hymn singing and generally have a great carnal time. The aggressive kids naturally wanted to be up front directing or preaching. The quieter ones were content to sit and be entertained by the upfronters. Occasionally we get mesmerized by a truly sensationalistic crowd swear, like the girl who said, boo, I'm the Holy Ghost. But in general, if the upfronters were pretty good, they could hold their audience for quite a while. If they weren't so good, eventually the kids would drift off to play something else like jump rope or jacks. Now that generation has grown up, but most of them haven't changed too much. Every Sunday they still play church. They line up in rows for the entertainment. If it's pretty good, their church may grow. If it's not too hot, eventually they'll drift off to play something else. You know, there's something we need to realize. That God is not blessed by our presence. He's not checking it off. And it's enough. Hey, there's Tim today. There's John today. There's, hey, you've, you've done good. There's Tom today. You've done good. You've shown up for church. Good enough. God's not blessed by our presence. He's blessed by our attitude in his presence. He's blessed by recognition and response. That's why we're here. Some people walk into the room, but they're not here. Their minds are a million miles away. We've got to come in and we've got to be intentional. We've got to be focused. We've been so blessed here at Fellowship over the years. Two people within the last two weeks and for over 30 years, people have told me they walk into this room and they felt the presence of God like they've never felt it before. The lady stood right down here and she was just crying. She said, I just walked in this room and there was something here. And I've heard it over and over and over again. And that was before we started any music, before we did anything. We've just been blessed by the presence of God in this place. We can't conjure up feelings like that. We're not that good. It's the Spirit of God working among us. And we've got to be intentional in saying, Lord, I'm going to focus on you. My eyes are on you. John Ortberg wrote about the people 
gathered at the base of the mountain during the Exodus, the mountain of God. He said, people have the tendency to approach worship as consumers. The focus is on my experience, sitting back with arms folded and saying to those leading worship, wow me, wow us, Kyle. Do something to grab my attention, catch my interest. It's your job, Kyle. They assume worship is like watching a movie. It's something I critique afterward. Then he asked a question. Can you imagine the Israelites freshly delivered from slavery before a mountain that trembles violently with the presence of God muttering, we're leaving because we're not singing the songs we like. Like that tambourine song. How come they don't do that tambourine song anymore? I don't like it when Moses leads worship. Aaron's better. This is too formal. All that smoke and mystery. I like casual worship. It was okay except for Miriam's dance. Too wild. Not enough reverence. And I don't like the tambourine. And then he writes, no. Scripture doesn't read like that. The people were filled with awe and wonder and trembling and hope and fear because there in the middle of nowhere before this bunch of ex-slaves was God. That's how we need to feel when we come to worship. It's not something we critique afterward. It's the opportunity for an experience together as a body to gather and worship and lift our voices as a body. C.S. Lewis had trouble with his whole worship thing before he became a Christian. He said, he said I, I struggle with the idea that God, that, that he demanded to be praised and, and, and that people would praise him altogether. I, it's something you just could do alone, you know. And then he said, I did not see that it is in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men, to all of us. God communicates to us in worship. Jesus declared a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. That deepest innermost part of us communing with the spirit of God in the context of what this book says is good and right and appropriate. And one verse that not many people associate with worship is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I would love it before we enter this room, when we're walking in those back doors, if we would just stop for a moment and say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Just to remind ourselves that we need to be intentional in worshiping Him because He deserves our praise. As I mentioned, anything you do can become an act of worship. Uh, this is captured by Warren Wiersbe. I don't have time to develop it, but I wanted you to have this definition. Worship is the believer's response of all that he is, mind, emotions, will, and body, to all God is and says and does. Everything you do can become an act of worship. Colossians 3.16 Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. It just doesn't happen in this room. It happens outside this room. And then J.L. Wall Sanders says, Worship is giving God the best he has given you. Whether it be our time, our talent, our treasure, we walk with him, we work with him, we live in his company, and we give him praise for everything that comes our way. Well, there are hindrances to worship, and I want you to be aware of those. One is an unsurrendered heart. Unsurrendered heart. Have you made the decision to take up your cross and follow him all the days of your life? Sometimes that's a hindrance. Unconfessed sin. Like Adam and Eve. We run and hide from God. We're ashamed to come into his presence because of things that we've said, because of things that we've done. But remember, unconfessed sin. When we confess our sin, it's because of fellowship, not because of relationship. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, 
your relationship is secure. But we confess our sins because of fellowship with him. That can be a hindrance to you if you've not confessed sin. Wrong attitude. When we come to worship, we need to have the right attitude. Our minds and our hearts need to be in the right place. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus to be thinking about things that are are true and noble and right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Any enemy opposition, Satan doesn't want you to worship because he knows it will change your life. Here are my sin, me, left their boats, left everything behind, and followed him. He knows that's what will happen when you truly worship God. So he's going to try to block it. You probably have more fights on your way to church than anywhere else. And that's because Satan's in your car with you. He's riding in the back seat. Don't let that happen. Don't let that be a hindrance to your worship. Fatigue. Sometimes you're just tired. You're just tired of life. And you can come in and you don't have the energy. Or so you think. The psalmist talked about in the 23rd Psalm. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. You'll find refreshment here. When you want to hang on to that pillow and you don't want to get out of bed and you think, I'll just watch the live stream today. No offense to any of those of you who are watching the live stream today. Get out of bed, you'll find refreshment. And then unbelief. I love the statement by the boy's father. He said, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe you're just a doubter. Maybe you're coming because your wife or your husband wants you to come, but maybe you haven't really trusted Christ. And before we conclude this morning, I just can't move on without giving you the opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior because maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you, come on, come on. Pull your boat up on shore. Leave everything else behind and follow me. I'll change your life. I'll show you how to live freely and lightly. So I want you to pray with me. If you've never prayed and asked Christ to come into your heart, this is an opportunity for you right now. You just say to him, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life right now. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for me. I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I ask you to forgive my sin, to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I now accept you as my Savior. And I will follow you as my Lord all the days of my life. Thank you for saving me. And if you prayed that prayer today, I want to give you the gift of John 6, 47, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the one who believes will have eternal life. That's his promise. And I can tell you this, you will have abundant life too, because you know how the story is going to end. There will be a time when we all gather around the throne of God and when we know that all the trouble and all the turmoil of this world has passed, none of us will be wearing masks. We will be before the throne of God and the Lamb. And it's described for us in the book of Revelation. And I hope in that day, I hope that I can catch the eye of the people who were instrumental in bringing me to Christ. I hope I can catch their eye and just be able to say to them, thank you. It's because of you having the courage to share with me that I'm here today. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share in this moment. 
So I want you to stand and we're going to read this together aloud with one voice and then we're going to sing and worship together. Let's read it together. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art. How great Back 
believe this? The Lord has our hope. This morning we get the opportunity to continue in worship through offering. The Bible talks about offering being a sacrifice of things that we have to a holy God. So this morning I just wanna take the time to pray over what we're giving to our God. Father, we come before you as a church, as your people. Lord, feeling the pain sometimes of giving up things that we want to hold on to and clutch closely. But Father, would you give us grace and peace as we release them to you this morning, Father. Let us be wise with what's been given. We pray these things in your name, amen. response. We praise Jesus. Hallelujah. 
sweet morning, church. If you need prayer this morning, we have the Stebbins in the prayer room over to my left and to your right. We'll see you next week. Go in peace.